Thanks for joining us for BIB Today, the podcast from the newsroom of Business in Vancouver. I'm Kirk LaPointe, publisher and executive editor. A Senate committee has published a report in the last week quite critical of the federal government's performance in creating the environment for innovation, competitiveness, and productivity in this country. It makes six sweeping recommendations for change, and it warns that Canada faces great risks for the economy if it doesn't attend to issues involving intellectual property, data strategy, and governance and procurement of Canadian products, among other things. I'm pleased to reconnect today with the chair of the Senate Committee on Banking, Commerce and the Economy, former fellow journalist, well-known to Canadian Senator Pamela Wallen. Good to see you. Great to see you, Kirk, and thanks for the invitation. Nobody ever reads a, a banking committee report, so thank you. It, it didn't take long, you know, I, I still have reading capacity. Um, you know, as a committee though, you've been looking at these issues now for a year and a half, and and, what do you think is the most worrisome finding? I think it's the um, reluctance of government, I think, to actually see the bigger picture. Uh, mm -hmm. we, there are dozens of programs that come out of government, funds upon funds that exist with big, big price tags attached to spur on new high tech innovation and development. The trouble is they're not focused, they're not connected, and they have no long-term uh, goal. So you're an entrepreneur and you have an idea and you go in and you get your grant from government and it gets you from A to B. Um, but you need to get to C and D and E uh, and try and build that company here and not just get to a, a certain point as I uh, as I have said in some other places, we've got to get people ready for scale, not sale. Uh, and we heard this time and again from witnesses, which is Canadian companies get to a certain point and then they just sell. And what goes out the door with them is intellectual property. And that's the currency. And that's what we're giving up. Yeah, I want to talk about IP as we uh, continue here. But um, I want to ask about the culture of mm. government. And it, like, what kind of culture is behind this series of failures? Well, I just think that, I mean, you know this as well as, as any living Canadian. Governments have four-year attention spans uh, because they need to get reelected. So as long as they can make the announcement about the program, and as long as there's a ribbon cutting, and as long as a half a dozen entrepreneurs come out and say, this is going to change the world. It's fabulous. That's what we will continue to do. We actually need somebody to sit back and, and we're hoping this will help them just, you know, uh, find a way to, to really put in place some key things that just have to happen so that we're not just shoving money out the door with no return. I mean, Government funds most of the university research that isn't funded by foreign com uh, countries, but there's no requirement that it be successful or that the IP stay in Canada or that they have patent protection. Um, so, you know, there's no damage to them politically, really, if they do it the right way. It may be that a government down the road gets more credit than they do today. But this is about the country. And we just finished a report before this one on the status of the <clears throat> economy. We all know what we're dealing with, with inflation and, and interest rates going up and spending. If, if you have to borrow to spend slash invest, 
then then that is not a good strategy for growth. That's a strategy to build debt. And uh, we're really, really good at that. And we're not so good at the growth side. Do you think that um, that the public finances during the pandemic um, have almost anesthetized us around really the this this kind of culture? I think it's a huge problem, and and despite promises from government that we would assess this and we would put it under you know a microscope and learn lessons from the spending or misspending during COVID, of course none of that is really underway. You've had a couple of academic uh, exercises look at it, but I do think that I mean we just did this. Uh, assessment of you know of the the funds that exist from government but then you look in 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 a day at the 13 billion dollars for a Volkswagen plant um, that is going to create a handful of jobs maybe 300 and again you know what we've got is a short-term jobs strategy and not an innovation strategy which is there's no control over the ideas the valuable IP that's uh, that should that should be staying in our hands while we do deals. Yeah, it, it was explained to me at one point that the innovation spending envelope is probably the second largest that the federal government has after defense. Right, it's north of ten or twelve billion dollars. Well, debt service is now larger than defense. So <laughs> okay, yeah, I don't think that's all that discretionary myself, but anyway. Um, what do we have to show for this in the innovation economy? Well, this is the problem. Um, we we can't really turn to it and say that, you know, we had people like Jim Basile come before us and lots of IP intellectuals and give us the stats and say, you know, in clean tech, let's just say this is a, a focus of this current government. They talk about this all day long. And in green tech, these guys have been around for a while now. We owe, we own one percent of the IP. Okay, right. so we're a, a country that depends totally on the energy sector to pay for our health care, to pay for all sorts of other social services, the revenues that those guys generate, and the advances they've made in terms of of cleaning up the uh, the industry. How can only one percent of that? belong to us in a country like this, right? Yeah. So I, I can't hold up many examples. Yeah. We used to call this a brain drain, of course, and now it's really yeah. an IP yeah. drain. Um, how do we do a better job of retaining intellectual property here? Well, I mean, the people were just, it, it seems like so self-evident that I, that I kind of hesitate to say it, but, you know, you've got to have objectives for the money that you hand out as a government. You know, mm -hmm. if you're going to say, okay, here's uh, here's $100 and what we want in return is X. And if you don't deliver X, you give us the $100 back, right? right. Now, so you can like holding handcuffs on them almost, right? Yeah. So, so have some standards, have some um, objectives, and have people's feet held to the fire if those aren't met. I think the biggest and simplest thing we could do is have government focus its own procurement dollars yeah. on Canadian product. And I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's staplers or airplanes or clean tech or whatever it may be. 
use what we've got here, harness that, and then you can put some rules around it. When, when you hear an explanation from government about why it's not the first customer, it, is, it, is it the idea that it's somehow not competitive or not in the public interest to, to maybe buy a more expensive version of a product when they can find something on the market that's cheaper? Like what, what's the rationale in behind that, Senator? Why, why don't we fix 24 Sussex so that there are not rats running through the hallway and heaters on the floor? Nobody wants to take the heat for paying more for a particular contract, a procurement of some good or service, just because it's Canadian. We want the bottom line. We want the cheapest deal. But that is quite literally cutting off our nose to spite our face. We could be at all levels of government doing this, but the federal government is, is of course, the largest purchaser in the entire country. And, and if, we, if we did that with our own products through the range, we'd have more intellectual property, more burgeoning companies, more innovation that would in turn feed into the system, pay their taxes and support the spending that all governments like to engage in. Your committee is quite the watchdog on on the economy, and I want to get some thoughts from you about, of course, the pandemic. Um, mm. I'm sure you've heard of it. It's it's, uh, it's all it's all over the place. It's the rage. Yeah, been reading, been reading Facebook. Uh, you can't miss it. Um, but but how do you think the pandemic has affected our productivity in this economy? Well, I I am I am one of those people that got on planes uh, when there was one from Saskatchewan to Ottawa, because I believe that A, we should lead by example, uh, but B, the work of the Senate and and Parliament gets uh, done in a more effective way if you are dealing face-to-face with people. If you have to make your case, explain your idea, agree, vote with, vote against, whatever it may be, that that's part of the, the bargain. We... Um, sent everybody in the country home and we sent civil servants home and many of them are still not back at work and we've seen some of the obvious examples of nobody could get a passport or uh, the crisis in security lines at airports but it's at almost every level and we have got to get people back to work Part of the problem is is that the job numbers are looking pretty good i don't know what that means if if great swaths of people are still working from their basement or only coming in three days a week, I I did have a, a moment when we saw the public sector strike in Ottawa and, and they were protesting on the lawn in front of Parliament Hill. And I thought you should probably be on your own block at home because that's where you've been. And, uh, you know, we, we really need you back here because, you know, uh, as anybody who's worked in an office or a newsroom, there is a dynamic that's at play when there are people together. You, you spur off each other. You have conversations you didn't plan to have. There's a serendipitousness to those kinds of encounters. And I think we're missing that. And I think with that, you miss a lot of creativity. It yeah. can't be about phoning it in. But, but I go back to this uh, anesthetizing of people with uh, benefits. Yeah, with the numbers, and yeah. How, and how that maybe has given us this sense of, um, of security about our economy. And, and again, many of the economic numbers don't look all that horrible. 
Uh, we've got full employment, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. um, but there seems a gap between the data and yet what, what uh, you know, the OECD and others are saying about our country's productivity. And yeah, how we're, we're kind of bottom of the list. Right. And I no, I think that's a huge problem. It's like the inflation factor. Uh, you know, it is affecting maybe not you, maybe not me, but there are an awful lot of people who are trying to figure out whether they're going to put a meal on the table or put medicine in their body. Right. Okay, now that's a very fundamental choice. And we are one of the wealthiest countries, albeit one of the least productive uh, in, the, in the world. And that should not be an issue here. That should not be something that we're getting, you know, that we're forcing people to deal with. So it, it's, we've got real problems. There is a sense that life goes on and somehow we survived the, the pandemic and, and the inflation rate was starting to, uh, the bank rates were starting to come down because inflation was coming down. Then the banks sort of uh, get another push up. And that to me was like a wall poster. So people, hello, pay attention. Uh, all of the experts are still talking about recession uh, south of the border. If they have a cold, we, you know, have pneumonia. So, um, you know, we, we can't be, we, we just can't be complacent about this. And we can't continue to spend without outcome. You know, if there's outcome for all this spending, if we really are becoming more productive, if we really are creating new and innovative ideas that we're going to be able to capitalize on, if we really are going to make work more effective and people happier in their lives, that's great. But that's not, that's, we don't have that kind of strategy in place. Yeah. Your report doesn't uh, necessarily uh, go directly into the topic of AI, although it intersects with absolutely everything right. in the report. Um, right. At this stage, it, you know, what are some of your early takeaways about how AI is already reshaping elements of our economy and, and what you think it's going to do over the next little while? Well, I think we're just in the midst of that wake up call right now. I mean, you know, the, the, the Jetsons and, you know, we were all going to have robots cleaning our houses and doing all the stuff we didn't want to do and all the rest of it. Um, now I think, and, and technology has brought this on itself because it exposes us to it. We, we get to see what it might look like um, with chat GBT or whatever it may be. And, and so I think there's a bit of a shock in the system now. But again, this is one of those areas where we're doing some, some great research. I mean, um, Jeffrey Hinton was right here. He was the godfather of AI, as they call him. He, he lives in Toronto and works. And when somebody that like that walks away uh, from, from Google and from the concept and says, we haven't thought this through, then again, we should all be paying attention and we should have uh, government ministers having um, comments and press conferences and speeches on those kinds of things, because this is core. Yeah. Is it your sense that we're going to move towards some sense of government regulation around this? I, I don't, it's so hard to tell. I, I don't like a lot of government regulation. I think markets should do their thing. I think consumers should um, send messages and, and that's how our system very generally works. Some areas need to be regulated, obviously. 
But what concerns me is the kind of regulation I've seen already. I also sit on another committee, which is transport and communications, where we've been looking at the internet bills, the two internet bills that this right. government is really, um, uh, I'm going to use the word obsessed because they are uh, with this. And one of this is, you know, C11 was about um, dictating and controlling what we can see and what we have access to and promoting some material ahead of other material and taking that choice away from me as a consumer. And now we see with C18 um, direct interference in in the uh, journalistic world. Uh, it's also the media world, which is the more corporate side of it. And when you force big companies to say, like Google and Facebook, you are going to pay traditional legacy media outlets to do what you've been doing for them for free, uh, you risk some backlash of those two companies saying, see you later. Um, they've already indicated they may do that. So this kind of, um, I think, you know, obviously my views are pretty well known, ill-considered intervention in these two worlds is going to risk uh, some complication there. So while I do certainly want to see rules around AI, I want to see thought around AI. I want to see people having some conversations and thinking this through and not having your first response be legislation, but perhaps a later response after you've heard from a lot of players so that you can uh, get a good view. So is it, is it just simply that business doesn't trust government any longer? I'm not sure it's a question of trust. I think that's a separate issue. I think there's always a clash between uh, the guys that are in the real world and, and the guys that are on Parliament Hill. Um, I, I think it's just what they, they don't see the incentive system. They don't see the strategy. They don't see a long-term plan. So if you're going to commit... Um, you know, if, if you're here and you're, you want to invest and you're in the modern economy, I mean, you, you can come in as we are seeing companies do, uh, our friends like Huawei, I mean, they can come in and take all of the IP and go home. Um, and, and that's, you know, so it's good for them in the short term, I suppose, because they're taking just, they're just, you know, harvesting the value right off the top with no pushback. Uh, but I think, even in most businesses, they want they want smart business partners and they need government to be uh, smarter about this as well. All right, last question. And I'm sure you've asked this question yourself as a journalist probably 2,000 times. <laughs> we'll see. How do you make sure that your report is listened to and isn't going to simply get up on a shelf or in a filing cabinet somewhere to collect dust? Well, I'm pretty sure it is going to end up on a shelf and in a filing cabinet, but the whole process of bringing witnesses to the table, um, you know, it, I, I don't want to get into the, the nitty gritty here of how the Senate operates, but we had people come in front of us who are in this world, who, who live and breathe innovation and IP and, and research, and they love their country. And so I... I am counting on them to help us make the case that we really, really need to do this. Not just because a group of senators said, hold on, this is really important, but because the people that are out there building, employing, 
voting, generating jobs and money and tax dollars and all of that are saying, please help us. So I, I, I am optimistic, or at least I'm hopeful that they will help uh, keep this front and center. Gee, you sound like you're having fun in this job. I will tell you. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> this is hard work. Yeah, no, I think it's important. Seriously, you know, this is uh, this you get to sink your teeth into the issues that we're dealing with here. And and I've got to say, on the Senate side, we're quite lucky. Uh, I'm always very um, the the members of Parliament who work hard and have to go and get elected, and they work at that 365 days a year. And it's hard for them, given the time constraints, to really sink their teeth into. We get into issues. We get to do that. So, yeah, I feel very lucky. Well, it's great to catch up. And yeah, uh, thank you for your time today. Uh, really interesting report recommended for people, the Senate committee uh, that's had a look at, uh, at issues involving innovation, competitiveness, and productivity in our country. Senator Wallen, good to see you. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Kirk. Great to catch up, as you say. Take good care. I'm Kirk LaPointe, publisher and executive editor of BIV. Thanks for watching.